Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. We started a series last week called Truth at the Table. Anybody here last week who talked about Zacchaeus? Okay. Well, there's only like 20 of you raising your hands, and this room had like 168 people in it. So I know somebody's lying, or over half of them just didn't show up, and y'all invited new friends, so thanks for keeping the room full. But we started a brand new series called Truth at the Table. We talked about Zacchaeus, and it was this guy who, you know, was just uh, rough. He, he, he did some shady stuff, and Jesus showed up as he was hiding up in a tree and said, hey, I want to meet at your house. I want to meet at your table. And one of the things I didn't say last week setting up this whole idea of truth at the table is this. Remember in the scripture last week, it says that as Jesus went to Zacchaeus and said, hey, I want to meet at your house. I want to have dinner at your table. It says that religious people said, I can't believe that he would even eat with sinners. And the reason for that is not just like, oh, Jesus is hanging out with bad people. In that culture, when you had dinner with a person, it was equivalent in that culture of saying, hey, I accept you for who you are. I don't need you to change who you are for me to put time, to, to put time in with you and spend time with you. Now, the, in, the interesting thing about Jesus is Jesus will accept you and love you where you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. This is why repentance must happen, right? This is why we must turn from a life of sin and to the life of freedom that Jesus died to give us. So yes, they were upset that Jesus would sit with sinners and, and they would go, it's saying he accepts them. And Jesus is saying, yes, me letting them know that I love them where they are is giving opportunity for them to accept me and the work that I'll do in their life. And if you remember the story, we don't have to go back over it all, but all I know is one moment with Jesus, with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus who had stole from people, robbed from people, was hustling people. It says he pushed away from the table and he said, Jesus, I'm gonna give back four times to every person that I've stolen. Everything changed at a moment at the table with Jesus. And so I truly believe we, we kicked off um, our groups this past week, and that was kind of the heart of doing this series was, hey, let's dig into some truth, and let's show up in houses and get across a table, and let's just begin to talk about the truth. And who is the truth? Who is the truth? Look, y'all, I'm tired too, and I need energy in the room, okay? So talk back, holler back. Preacher, let the skinny jeans preach. I don't care. Say something. Go ahead, white boy. I don't care. Just talk to me, okay? But yes, thank you. But I, I need you to understand that when we talk about truth, we're not talking about a concept, we're not talking about a principle, we're talking about a person. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. Many times in church circles, we can get talking about things, and we forget that what we're talking about is not some, some uh, idea, it's not some philosophy, it is Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is and is to come, amen? So, I'm gonna read you a couple scriptures to remind you to set us up. John 14, one through six, this is Jesus. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. In other words, Jesus is like, I ain't a liar because I'm going to prepare a place for you. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus has been gone for over 2,000 years and one of the last things he said to the disciples is I'm gonna go prepare a place? I don't know if you've ever traveled the earth, the world, and seen how beautiful it is, but it's crazy. He did that in six days. And he took a little siesta on day seven. And I'm like, he doesn't, he doesn't sleep. I didn't say he slept. I just think he chilled. And he was like, dang, look at me. This is good. <laughs> so awesome. But think about this. 2,000 years he's been gone. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place. What do you think it's going to look like? I mean, just, I, sometimes I just think about it. 
I remember I was in India looking out at the edge of the Himalayan mountains, and it was just nuts. I was on a drum set playing drums. There was like 3,000 people out in the soccer field. We were leading worship. Jonathan was there, and uh, I just remember thinking about, like, the sun was setting and how gorgeous it was, and that thought came to my mind. It's like, dude, he's been gone for over 2,000 years, and he said, I'm going to prepare a place. So anyways, sorry, rabbit, squirrel. Anyways, um, and I'll go prepare a place for you. I'm coming again, and I will take you to myself. Amen, because I'm going. So that where I am, there you will be also. Does anybody want to be with him? And you will know the way where I am going. And Thomas, I love Thomas. Thomas is real. He's raw. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Because Thomas is thinking, well, what do we need to do? Where do we need to go? What are the rules we need to follow? Jesus, tell us. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. In other words, the 2,000 years of building and preparing something is not going to be more beautiful than wanting to be with the Father because Jesus' response wasn't, I'm the way to get to the amazing thing I'm making. I'm the way to get to the Father, and it happens to be that the place I'm preparing is where the Father is. Jesus is the only way, amen? And then Psalms 23, 1 through 6, I want to read you this this morning, and we'll come back to close with this. Maybe you know the scripture, maybe you grew up memorizing it in the King James Version. I'm sorry, I, I really struggle when I read Romeo and Juliet in ninth grade, so I'm not reading you the King James Version this morning, okay? I'm going to read you the NASB. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, and I, sh- and I will not be in need. Some of you are like, it's I shall not want. Same thing grammatically, okay? He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for the sake of his name. Please know that as followers of Jesus, there is a righteousness that we must walk in, but it's not a righteousness we walk in and tell people to look at us. It's a righteousness we walk in and tell people to look at him for his name's sake. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Someone today needs to know you've said yes to Jesus and then you felt like you went from a mountaintop to a valley. You're like, what the heck's going on? Where did God go? God didn't go anywhere. God's honoring his word. He's letting you know, though you'll go through the valley. But someone today needs to hear you're going through it. You're not setting up camp in it. You're not hanging out. You're not buying a house, okay? You're not building a family in the valley. You're going through the valley. And why, do we, why would we go through valleys? So I can tell these stories to my kids, that they may see his faithfulness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Will you pray with me? Jesus, as we open your word today, God, as we talk about the truth of your love, God, I pray there would be an incredible revelation. God, for people who think they have to work for your acceptance to please you, God, I pray that we would get God, for those that have been following Jesus for 30 years, those that have been following Jesus for 30 minutes, God, that we would get a real revelation of the truth of your unconditional love. No conditions other than us to freely receive what you freely give. We love you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalms 136, verse 5, I don't have this on the screen. It just says, he made the heavens skillfully, and his faithful love endures forever. 1 John 4, 7 through 21, if you're taking notes, write that down and go read it later. 1 John 4, 7 through 21, it talks about God's love. And if you jump down later in the scripture, it says this. Um, it, it goes on, it, you know, if you start in verse 7, um, you know, uh, it's starting to talk about 
um, let us love one another because love is from God. And then later on, the scripture says, God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. What's so important today for you and I to understand, love is not a concept, it's not a theory, it's not an idea, it's God. Jesus, or truth is not a concept, it's not an idea, it's not a theory, it's not a principle, it's Jesus. And this is what I love, is that God is love, Jesus is truth, and so everything that you would want to be true and everything that you would desire when when it comes to experiencing love will never happen outside of who God is. Culture longs for love. Our culture longs for a truth that's comfortable, and please know that truth is not about comfort, it's about commitment. And so I'm not here to be comfortable, I'm here to be committed because Jesus was committed to the cross, even unto death, amen? So everything that our culture desires, they they seek after a counterfeit version of because of what Jonathan talked about. Are you ready? Don't miss this. This will help you out when you're scratching your head, watching new TV shows pop up on certain things. You're like, my kids should not. And culture's like, no, we'll tell you when we get to tell your kids about this subject. Tell the truth and shame the devil, I'll punch him in the mouth. You ain't telling me when I tell my kids to do something. The Lord entrusted me with those kids. And so then it turns into like, oh, you're one of those parents. Like you're over the top and you don't let them watch this and you don't let them do this and you're putting them in a bubble. No, 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 I'm putting them in the world. And Jesus said, Father, I pray for the ones you have given me that you don't take them out of the world, but you keep them safe from the evil one. This is what Jesus prayed. So no, they're in the world and they will be light in the world, but I, as a father, will decide according to the word of God and the principles of God when they're at places to begin to talk about things. And I'll just say this to parents in the room. Do not let society and culture educate your kids. Do not be the one to be like, I don't really know how to bring that subject up. As a youth pastor, I called it the principle of first. Whoever gets to them first will probably have their heart for far too long. Who gets to them first on the subject of, and then pick whatever subject matter that might be, right? Who gets to them first? The principle of first. And so, and the God set up the principle of first, not us, right? God is the one, the first fruit offering we see in Genesis all the way through. God set the principle of first. And so culture will try to define all these things and tell us, but culture is longing for something they were made for, but they want a counterfeit version of it because counterfeit versions give you comfort. Counterfeit versions don't require the commitment and dedication that it takes people who do counterfeit money. Dude, there's a whole lot of commitment and dedication just for the wrong things. I'm like, bro, you working that hard to do all that? You should have just got it. You could be a CEO. What are you doing, right? But they get blinded by the enemy to be like, well, no, I want, I want a version of this, but I want it on my terms. And we were made by God and for God, according to Colossians 1:17. And so this scripture is just letting us know in 1 John, go read it, 4, um, 7 through 21, that God is love. If you desire the fullness of love, it will only ever be found in him, amen? And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna read you a scripture before I get back to Psalms 23 that we'll close with. I wanna read you a scripture as we talk about the truth of God's love about a man named Barabbas, okay? Um, I know that it's not Easter and normally we would be talking about the death of Jesus, but um, the Apostle Paul says, um, I choose to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we can talk about the crucifixion of Jesus any day, amen? And so I'm gonna read you um, out of the TPT, which is the Passion Translation. And if you are a Bible person in here and you're like, oh man, I've heard some stuff about that. You know, I don't know about it. Um, first off, 
please know that the best thing you could ever do is go to the original language. I do my due diligence, okay? Um, I promise you that. But what I love about the Passion Translation is that some theologians got together and they took Aramaic, which is what Jesus would have spoken. Just because the New Testament is written in Greek doesn't mean that Jesus walked around speaking Greek. He spoke Aramaic. And so they took the Aramaic and they translated these scriptures into Aramaic, like from the Aramaic, and it gives us more of a way it would have flowed out of Jesus's mouth. Now, it's still important to study the original language. I personally study from the New American Standard Version because it is the best and most accurate from the Hebrew to English and Greek to English. That's just a personal thing. Um, I read a lot of different ones, but I want to read you out of the TPT, and then I will read a, a section out of the New American Standard. But I want you to hear just how this flows and what happens. Um, it paints a great picture of the story that we're talking about. So John chapter 18, I'm going to start in verse 28, and again, I'm in the TPT, and it says this. Before dawn, they took Jesus from his trial before Caiaphas, the Roman's governor palace. Now, the Jews refused to go into the Roman governor's residence to avoid ceremonial defilement before eating the Passover meal. So funny that they're about to go have this ritualistic religious Passover meal, right, that was instituted by God, but not realizing that Jesus is about to be the final Passover lamb. And they're about to start shouting, crucify him because he's causing problems, not realizing that they're actually shouting, kill the final lamb that would cover our sins. Look at somebody and say, this is deeper than you thought. This is crazy. So it goes on and it says, the Romans governor, um, because they didn't want ceremonial defilement before eating the Passover. So Pilate came outside where they waited and asked them pointedly, tell me, what exactly is the accusation that you bring against this man? What has he done? And you have to understand from Pilate, he's going, bro, I don't get it. This guy's been opening up blind eyes. He's been making dead people come back to life. He's been making people who can't walk, walk. He's been making people who can't hear, hear. He's been healing sick kids from parents. What are you guys wanting me to arrest him for? I'm trying to figure out what he's doing wrong. See, here's the interesting thing about darkness. Darkness will try to arrest what light is pushing back. Darkness will always, like when the church is advancing and doing good things, I'll never forget our church that we came from. We met in a school, in a public school, and we started doing this thing that some of the vision actually will be implementing this next year and sharing with you guys some neat ways that we'll continue to expand serving our community. But we would show up to every school in our area the week before school started, and when it was like the, um, the parents to come and meet the teacher and walk through, we would have some tents out with donuts or snacks or different things. And then we had people stationed throughout the school with maps. And we just told the principal and the faculty and staff, hey, let us help parents as they're kind of just walking through hallways. We can tell them, oh, that room's over here, just there to serve, right? That was it. There was no church invite cards. There was no, you better come to our church. Literally show up and serve. And someone walked on campus. They started going, separation of church and state. Separation of church and state. And I was like, I don't know. Does he have Tourette's? I don't know what's going on. Like, is he okay? Like, what's going on? He's screaming. Um, I was confused. And he's like, they can't be here. Separated to the church and state. And I was like, I'm confused because I took religion in America and I took Christian history before I ever stepped into just like Bible classes. I took those at secular colleges. And so I know that the separation of church and state was not to keep the church out of the government. Separation of church and state was established to keep the government out of the church. That was the original intention. You can go look up the actual the, the documents, and it was, it was for the government to not be able to tell the church what they can do. So he's saying this, and I was like, I'm really confused. And I got in a conversation with him. He's like, well, you guys shouldn't, you shouldn't be here. You're, you're trying to tell people what to believe. I said, no, sir. 
And I said, we have a king, his name's Jesus, and he did one thing. He came and he served. He said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. I said, so we're just here to serve you. And if you'd like a donut, if you'd like a cookie. And I felt like he was treating us like some weird Christians treat, like if you, like, if, like you eat one piece of Halloween candy, you're like, the devil's going to get in me. And I'm like, Jesus is in me. There's no devil getting in me, okay? I'm good. I have the blood of Jesus, all right? Um, and again, whatever you believe about Halloween, you follow your convictions, what the Lord leads you. For me, I just hustle culture. Culture comes up with something like, oh, that's cool. Hey, Summer, you want to wear like this little, I'm not letting her wear something demonic. You want to wear this little princess dress? Go get some free candy. Let's go. We're just going to hustle the day. Thank you, Jesus. We got a redeeming Jesus. I'm going to redeem the day and have some fun, amen? But I, I just remember him being so frustrated, and it was crazy because the reality is that we showed up to just show God's love. They were frustrated, they were angry, but usually when light is showing up to do good, darkness at its very best will just get loud, it'll get crazy, and try to cause something because it's fearful of what light could push back, right? And so we have a responsibility to continue to do that. And so you see this moment, Pilate's going, what did he do wrong? I, please help me understand. Tell me exactly. And they answered, we wouldn't be coming here to hand over this criminal if, uh, to you if he wasn't guilty of some wrongdoing. Mind you, that did not answer their question. Hey, guys, tell me exactly what he did wrong. We wouldn't be here if he didn't do something wrong. Don't question us. We're religious people. See, religious heart is always don't question me. The heart of a son or daughter of the king is going to the book of Psalms and saying, God, search me and try me. Try my anxious thoughts. Search me if there's any unclean way in me. Religious people, don't question me. Freedom in relationships says, God, search me. Show me anything that shouldn't be there. They didn't want to be questioned. Pilate said, very well. Then you take him yourselves and you go pass judgment on him according to your Jewish laws. But the Jewish leaders complained and said, but we don't have legal authority to put anyone to death. You should have him crucified. This whole scene is just crazy, right? He's like, guys, I don't see what he's done wrong. And they're like, well, we wouldn't be here if you didn't do anything wrong. Well, then you guys take care of it. Just go ahead and kill him. I don't know, hang him on one of y'all's trees, do your thing, right? Go to one of your little vineyards, have some fun. Well, we can't do that because our laws say we can't, but your laws say you can, so why don't you do it for us? You crucify him. And it says, this was to fulfill the words of Jesus when he predicted the manner of the death that he would die. Upon hearing this, Pilate went back, just mind you, God is in so much control that when darkness thinks that they're actually doing damage, they're losing. Kill him, crucify him. And God going, you don't realize that you are doing everything that I need to be done for my son to die for the sins of humanity. Darkness, you're still losing. And it goes on and it says, upon hearing this, Pilate went back inside his palace and summoned Jesus. Looking him over, Pilate asked him, are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, are you asking because you really want to know? Or are you only asking this because others have said it about me? Jesus, look, I promise you, you got a one-on-one conversation with Jesus? Like, bro, he's about to mess you up. Like, he's going to start asking you questions left and right. You're going to be confused about why you're even there. And it, it goes on, and um, Pilate responded, only a Jew would care about this. Do I look like a Jew? It's your own people and your religious leaders that have handed you over to me. So tell me, Jesus, what have you done wrong? Jesus looked at Pilate and said, here it is. This is where Pilate just starts going, I don't know who you are, but what is happening? The royal power of my kingdom realm doesn't come from this world. If it did, then my followers would be fighting to the end to defend me from the Jewish leaders. My kingdom realm authority is not from this realm. 
Then Pilate responded, oh, so you are a king. You are right, Jesus said. I was born a king, and I have come into this world to prove that what truth really is. And everyone who loves the truth will receive my words. Notice Jesus isn't talking about a concept. He's talking about himself. Whoever loves the truth will receive my words because I am the truth. And then I love what happens here. Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? The leader of the Romans at this time, standing in the back of his palace, talking with the Messiah, the anointed one, and Jesus is like, I am a king. In my kingdom, that you can't even make sense. My authority is so out. You, you're walking around here with your gold-plated stuff. Bro, you don't even know. I, my streets are gold. My kingdom realm is so far beyond you, Pilate. But I showed up here to make sure that people knew what truth was. And Pilate, standing in his own palace, having everything you'd think you'd want, everything that people think they need, standing there, I've arrived, I've made it. And he asked the question that everybody is asking deep down inside. What is truth? What is truth? And as powerful as the question is, he asked the wrong question. He asked what is truth instead of who is truth. He asked what is truth instead of who is truth. As silence filled the room, Pilate went back out where the Jewish leaders were waiting and said to him, he's not guilty. I couldn't even find one fault with him. Now, and again, he's feeling pressure. Pilate's feeling pressure from these religious leaders. We want him dead. He's causing issues for us. Do whatever you got to do. You kill people all the time. We want him dead. And so Pilate's trying to make sure that like, his hands are clean. He's like, look, dude, I, I try to live by the law and do what our laws say, and I just don't find him guilty. But look what Pilate says here. He says, now you know that we have a custom that I release one prisoner every year at Passover. Now, this is crazy, and I'm going to try to get there, but... At Passover, which is something that's celebrated every year by the Jewish people, and you do understand, uh, we could go back a little bit, but you have the Jewish people, they're enslaved by the Egyptians, God is about to lead them out of slavery, they're about to cross the Red Sea, right, Moses is the one that's going to lead them across, and God sent this death angel comes over Egypt, and the Lord says, hey, something's about to happen, uh, an angel's going to fly over, and anyone that doesn't have the blood over their doorpost, children are going to die. And so I need you as my children to obey me and I need you to kill a lamb and put lamb over the doorpost. And if there's the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, I'll pass over you. See, everything in the old covenant is pointing to the new covenant, letting us know that Jesus is the final lamb and that his blood, yes, we talk about the blood of Jesus because his blood is what washes us and cleanses us so that death passes over us because we conquer death because of the blood of the lamb, amen? And so we see this in, in the old covenant. This is a type and shadow. It's pointing to what God is planning and preparing. He's saying, do this, but I'm sending you a lamb. You won't have to kill anymore. I'm sending you the final lamb. He's coming. He's on his way. But I need you to notice that this, from this moment in Egypt, now the Jewish people for centuries are celebrating Passover. They're reminding, if you've ever done, you can go do these. are really cool. I had a Jewish guy come in and did this whole meal with us, and everything you eat um, has a significance to when they were brought out of Egypt. It's really, it takes like an hour, like two hours actually to eat dinner because they're explaining everything. Um, and not everything's great, but it's cool. And so you're learning all of the symbolism. But every year they're gathering together. And then so much so that Pilate, who isn't even a Jew, but because the Jewish faith and religion is so strong, he begins to honor them in such a way by saying, hey, because there's so many of you and our government, the Roman government being here, here's what we'll do. We'll release one prisoner every Passover for you. 
And see, can I just tell you that when you and I, if it wasn't because of Jesus, we'd be doing what the old covenant. We'd be slaughtering an animal, and their blood would be covering our sin for the year, and y'all be showing up every year, be like, oh, it's that time of year again. Man, churches would be full. People would be bringing animals everywhere. There'd be blood all over the place. Everybody would be like, yeah, praise God. But because the final lamb, isn't it interesting that when it's just us trying to do it by our effort, oh, this is way, way more than maybe you're realizing where I'm taking you right now, only one captive got released. Oh, but when the blood of the final lamb, did you catch it? You're not catching it. When the blood of the final lamb was shed, it's not just one captive release. It's every captive that would ever say yes to the lamb that they would be released and so here Pilate is saying, I have this, this, this regular thing that I do. And remember, God's in so much control that he knows what's about to happen. And he tells him, he says, I couldn't find anything, so I release someone every year. And they shouted over, um, I, I pass over every year, shall I release your king, the king of the Jews? In other words, Pilate's trying to be like, dude, okay, remember, I always release somebody. Can we just release this dude? Because I really don't find him guilty. So every year I do this. Can, we just, can it be this guy today? And look what the Jewish people say. Not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber and a troublemaker. That's what John tells us at the end of that. Okay, cool. Here's Jesus, not guilty. Miracle signs, wonders. Pilate says, why don't we just release him? We do this every year. And the crowds be going, give us Barabbas. Let the troublemaker back into our homes. Crucify him. <laughs> yeah, Amen. But as much as that doesn't make sense, God had a bigger plan in place. If you were here last week, I talked about defining names. And Barabbas is very interesting because anytime you see the word, the, the, the beginning of a name, B-A-R, it means son of, okay? It's about to tell you they're the son of someone. There's a guy in scripture named Bartimaeus. His name literally means son of Timaeus. So we know who his daddy was, okay? But Barabbas is interesting because you have... B-A-R, son of. And then if you break that, you see the word Abba. A-B-B-A. His name would actually mean son of a father. And some theologians believe that Barabbas was actually, with, with his troublemaking and all that, he was probably an illegitimate child and grew up without a father. Well, that's interesting. So here this guy is. His name means son of a father. Potentially earthly doesn't have one. And he happens to be the prisoner that everybody shouts to release. I mean, we could have picked a woman who was maybe in trouble for, you know, because adultery was like penalty by law. So a woman could have been locked up for something like that. Like, okay, hey, we let her back, but she's not going to be like robbing our homes, right? But no, give us, give us Barabbas. Give us the son of a father. I don't know if you see what God is doing in this moment, but... He's making sure that Jesus dies this death so that you and I be can become sons and daughters of a father. You're Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. He let me go with the opportunity to become the son of a father because of the final sacrifice. And some of you are like, man, that's powerful. What the heck does that have to do with a table? It's a great question. Hey, Lydia, I need your help this morning. Will you come up here and sit at this table for me? Thank you. There's going to be some others of you that are going to come help me too. I already had you picked out. You just don't know it yet. I'm going to read you, John. You can sit right there. 
Actually, sit on that side. I feel like that's the head of the table. I don't know if it's because I read left to right. I'm not quite sure, but just sit there. Let me read you in the NASB real quick, John 18, 36, 38. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate asked him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, well, you say correctly that I'm a king. For this purpose, I have come, or I have been born. For this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after saying this, he came out again, and the Jews said to him, uh, uh, and said to the Jews, um, I find no grounds at all for charges in his case. We opened up with talking about the idea of truth at the table. I told you I wanted to talk to you about the truth of God's love, and then I read you Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and I need you to understand today that um, because of what happened that moment, yes, the death of Jesus on the cross, all of that purposeful, but God wasn't just like, okay, let's get through all this hoopla just to get Jesus to die so then I can bring him back to life. Every piece was orchestrated. Every piece God was designing and telling you a story that, hey, you're Barabbas. I'm releasing you so that you can become a son or a daughter of God. Why? Because his love is more than you could imagine. That as I said, you're Barabbas, literally in the moment when the Jews are going, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas, God in turn is looking down at humanity and he can hear, give us Charles. And God's like, yeah, 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 that's a captive I'll release. Yeah, yeah, I got him. Give us Jesse. Yeah, yeah, that's a captive I'll release. I'll give him to you because I'm about to make the final sacrifice and everything's gonna change because of this. Now, Lydia, you've given your heart and your life to Jesus, yes? Does that mean that life is perfect? No, it doesn't, right? doesn't mean that um, there, there are no struggles or no difficulties. But what happens is, is that every person in this room, whether you say yes to Jesus or not, you've been given a seat at the Father's table. I mean, we read it in Psalms. It says he prepares a table for us. And this is spiritually speaking. There is a place that, that, that we get to sit with God because of what Jesus did. He released us. He released Barabbas and in turn was actually giving Barabbas not another prison cell later, but a seat at the table. And what's crazy about a seat at the table is this. Because it's not perfect, because it's not easy, right? Um, I, I need some people. Well, all three of you ladies come up here. Jesse, will you come up here? Um, yeah, come on. I, I, I already said it now. So we're here. Hey, bro, can you come up here? Can you help me out? I don't even know your name. What's your name? Caden? Nice to meet you, Caden. Y'all can slip through there, jump. I don't care. Do whatever you got to do. Now, not all y'all get a seat at the table. I'm sorry. Some of y'all, um, you, you two fellows, actually, I need you to just stand back there. You don't get a seat, all right? I appreciate you, though, um, but you don't get a seat. You will in a second. Just stay right there. Stay right there. Stay right there in, in just a second. Uh, no, you don't get a seat. I'm sorry. I want you to come stand right here. So what happens is, is when God invites us to the table, it's not that it, God doesn't say, hey, make sure you deal with all your crap. And then come to the table, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you sit there, and, you know, we can talk about what's going on, and, and we'll try to get you all cleaned up and get you right, get you into heaven. No. He literally says you have a seat at the table. And you might say, um, I love you, and so you're just in this moment representing insecurity, okay? So come right over here, you, you piece of insecurity, and stand, face her right there. There you go. Okay. But in Jesus' name, you're security, right? You know that. Um, Jesse, you're going to represent, just slide this way a little bit. You're going to represent um, uh, anxiety, depression, any and everything that is not good, right? But in Jesus' name, that's not who you are. You're filled with joy. Amen. All right. Um, Caden, we just met, right? 
okay, I have nothing, I, I don't know you, and again, none of this is personal, I'm just trying to paint a picture here. You're going to be like lust, anything, perversion, and bad. Okay, awesome, great. Um, so you guys stand right here, and we'll get to you in just a second, I promise. But what happens is, is that God invites you to the table, and when you show up to the table, you're like, Jesus, I believe you. God, God, I, I love you, I want to serve you, I want to follow you. But God, I got some stuff going on. And many of us will be like, well, I, I, don't, I can't get to the table until I deal with this. I got to, I hear it far too often. I, I'll come to church, but I'm not really going to go all in until I get myself cleaned up. You don't clean yourself up. That's why the blood was shed of the one and final lamb. You don't clean yourself up. He cleans you. And so many of us, and I've, it's all, like all too often, and it goes back to what Jonathan talked about. We don't want to surrender. So many of us, if you remember two ladies in scripture, Mary and Martha, we would be like, well, the Lord's here. I got to serve him. We get up. We're trying to do stuff. And God's like, sit at the table. But God, I got some sit at the table. And Psalms 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lies me down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As I started reading that and I'm thinking back to Jesus, people are going, crucify him, kill him. Not even worthy of it. Here he is in this moment, people, enemies of him, all around, going, just get rid of that man. He's causing issues, he's causing problems, surrounded by enemies, and God is doing something knowing that Jesus is the one that is creating spaces at the table, and so uh, I'm going to represent God because I have the microphone. Don't take any offense, okay? Lust, perversion, anxiety, depression, insecurity, but I need you to know that when you say yes to Jesus, he tells them that they can come along. Now, they don't get to sit at the table. They don't, they don't get to sit here. And, and I had paper plates and stuff, but then Rivy decided to get in the hospital, so all I got for you, God's preparing you Pringles, okay? This is what we got. Look, y'all. Jesus, Jesus had a ball on a budget for a season. Okay. And he prepares the table, and just imagine, that's silver. That's real silver. You see that? Y'all see that? It's glistening. He prepares a table in the presence of your enemies. So you've said yes to Jesus, and he's like, I'm making this for you. And you're looking around going, man, but I still have this. And God's just locked eyes with you. And he's preparing the table, and he's setting the place. He's like, everything's been done. I, I know they're here, but look, they, they, can, they can be here. I've dealt with them. But just because I've dealt with them doesn't mean when we say yes to Jesus, everything disappears. Doesn't mean it's magic, right? No, this is why we call it the voyage of following Jesus. But he's locked eyes with you. He sees you. You've said yes to him. He's concerned with you. And he's going to make sure that your enemies watch you eat. He's going to make sure that insecurity realizes I'm about to get kicked out because I'm finding every bit of security that I'll ever need in Jesus. The, the, the depression and anxiety is finding out that you're sitting at the table with Jesus, and while it might be present, it understands that if you stay in this place and that this seat is for you and not for them, all they're allowed to do is watch you eat. But what's crazy is as you begin to do that, a friend, come on, come on, what's your name? Grace, we met the other day. Yes, I remember. Grace, right here. Perfect name to, to sit at the table. Um, and so maybe it's you watching her and seeing what, what God's doing in her life. And what happens is, hey, I love you, but um, bye, insecurity, see you later, okay? 
you start seeing something change in here. And you're like, well, what, is, what is going on? You start asking questions. And it's in that place as we are following Jesus that, look, we are not getting people to look at us. But when they see us because of Jesus, people begin to realize, I have a seat at the table too. But now you might have shown up at the table. And what's crazy is she was dealing with some depression, anxiety, um, stuff going on. And you are too. And so here you walk in and it's still present. But again, all it's allowed to do, do you like the pizza Pringles? I'm not sure if you like the pizza Pringles. All they're allowed to do is watch you eat. I'm not telling you you have to eat it because I don't really like the pizza ones, okay? It's just, you know. Um, but they're only allowed to watch you eat because he'll prepare a table before your enemies. The things that you might still be going through but that he's already dealt with. There's no space for them at the table. They can be here in this moment as he's continuing making you more and more like him and you're beginning to find your worth and your value in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And he's showing you, wait a second, I was so locked up and I was in a prison cell with all of these. I was Barabbas. I was, I was without a father. But because of what Jesus did and his great love, he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. And guess what happens? Deuces, depression, anxiety, bye. He's been anointed with the oil of joy, Okay. And, and in this place, God begins to do something. And, and I know for some of you, you're like, well, it's, it's not that easy. I'm not, nothing with the gospel is asking you or I to believe or accept something easy. With the gospel, you and I, it's asking us to accept a place. I would rather be having to grow and navigate knowing I have a place than to wander and be miserable. I talked with someone the other day and they're like, yeah, just, you know, I know some people that when they say yes to God, but then they struggle a little bit and then as moments, the moments things struggle, they walk away from the Lord. And it's because what you and I forget is that you'll have trouble in this life. Whether you're at the table or not at the table, you will have difficulty. There will be struggles. There will be overwhelming moments. I would just rather have the overwhelming moment as my father is constantly preparing the, the table before me and letting me know, hey, I'm here with you. You're going to eat. You're not going to go without. I'm with you. I see you. And as you continue to live that way, more people begin to come and find their way. What's your name? Abby. Awesome. Nice to meet you, Abby. And they find a place at the table, right? And, and, and you said Caden, right? And Caden, th there's things that happen... Um, I know I said lust, perversion, but then I start thinking about past trauma. I start thinking about what happened in families and generations and things that are passed down, things that you wish would have never happened to you, maybe growing up without a father or a mother or someone taking advantage of you and you never said anything and you've lived with this guilt and shame that was not your fault and you find this place at the table still just kind of going, but there's all this stuff I don't know how to deal with, I don't know how to process, I don't know what to do and it's being reminded, Jesus didn't make a place at the table for you once you get it together. He made a place at the table for you to show you that he's the one that can deal with it. Bye. See you later. I appreciate you being here. And they find their seat at the table. And, and the father begins to prepare a place. And what I love about God is it's not God so busy with everyone else. Hey, you got your Pringles? Okay, good. Let me know. Just click the button when you need more, right? I'll be back. And then he's out like trying to get. No, 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 no. You do understand it's not God's job to go and get everyone to the table. Ha! That's our job. 
That's the church. That's light pushing back darkness. That's actually Jesus talking about a story about this huge banquet table. And he tells me, he says, hey, I need you to go invite people. And the, the servant goes and starts inviting people. He comes back to the owner of the house. He said, man, I talked to a bunch of people. I talked to one dude who just got married. He said he can't come because he just got married. <laughs> He's locked down. I just talked to another guy. He can't come because he bought a new oxen. You know, he loves his Corvette a lot. He's got to take care of it. I invited a bunch of people and nobody's coming. And the Bible says that the, the master of the house gets angry and he looks at the servant he says you go into the highways and byways you jump over hedges you go into the alleys you go into the dark places and you go fill this table because I've got room for more than enough and so the father isn't the one out there going and getting everyone he prepares a table and he begins to sit with you and this at this place when not not Sundays it's amazing gather small group do that amazing it's this place even though you're all sitting together it is in this place that you wake up at 6 a.m. before work, before school, and you're spending time with the Father. And it's at this place you're like, God, I, I didn't even want to do what I did yesterday or, or think that thought or start thinking that way about myself. And at the table, he's reminding you, hey, that's, that's not your job. Your job is to be at the table with me. And in this position, in this place, is when I remind you who you are. And when that becomes a daily thing, not because like, well, I'm a Christian, I got to do it. I'm going to share something really quick as we close. Worship team can come up. I'll never forget a man of God that I really admire and respect one day, sitting in a small group at a house. We started talking about spending time with God, like personally, right? Like spending time with the Lord. And, and look, I'm a pastor, and, and I understand it's important. But anybody agree that like life gets kind of busy? Maybe sometimes it's like, oh, let me, let me get a verse in real quick. <laughs> I'll play the last 30 seconds of worship songs, I'll walk into class, whatever, right? And it's because we think, I've got to do that for me. I used to come down the altars just like this in high school when I followed, when I was following the Lord as a teenager. And uh, I can remember telling God, God, I'm so sorry I'm not reading the Bible. And I'll never forget, at 17 years old, around that time, the Lord just so clearly spoke to me and he said, why are you apologizing to me? You're not reading the Bible for me, you're reading it for you. God doesn't get bigger, greater, or stronger if I read his word. He doesn't grow in who he is. He is who he is. This is for you and I. This is for intimacy with God the Father. This is for closeness. And I'll never forget that man of God as we're talking about. And some people are like, well, you know, I read at this time of day, and I read at this time of day. And again, whatever works for you, make it happen. I just remember he told his perspective. And we sat in this living room I mean, there's probably 15 people in there in tears as he spoke. And he made a statement. He said this to me. He said, my night prepares my morning. And I was like, what does that mean? He said, I I'm in a unique season. My kids are growing. They're out of the house. He said, but my night prepares my morning. Because he knew that in the morning, the Lord was going to have a place prepared for him. So what he did is he took time at night to prepare his morning. He said, I would go. I'd get the coffee pot ready because I knew that I was going to, you know, need some coffee. He said, I actually set my Bible out. He said, I set it at the chair I'm going to sit in. I have the mug that I'm going to use. He said, I put my Bible, my journal. And this is what works for him, right? I'm not telling you there's some magic formula and you got to do his formula. It was just the way he said it sounded so much like it was this thing out of duty, but he said it through tears. And the last statement he made is he said, my night prepares my morning. I get all of this together. He said, because he's prepared a place for me in the presence of my enemies. He said, there's nights that I'm struggling. And I set that thing because I know that God's going to prepare a place for me. And this is what he said is with tears running down his face. He said, 
I'm in a love relationship with the king of the universe. And I get to go sit with him at the table in the morning. So I'm just, I can't wait to get to that space that he's prepared before whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm dealing with now, whatever will come tomorrow, there's this space, there's this place. He prepares the table before your enemies. And what you notice is the longer you sit at the table, one by one, things that you used to deal with begin to walk away. They begin to leave. And that leaving is not like, look at me, I got this. People are like, how? And you're like, I just stay close to Jesus, close to Jesus. Well, you go, you go to church probably every Sunday. I, I go on Sunday because I love to gather with the community of believers in faith. And, and the Bible clearly talks about that. Well, you do all that small group stuff. Well, I go to small group because I believe it's important for me to gather together and dig in the word. But what everything hinges on is being at the table. I meet with Jesus. I don't need pastor's message to be the thing that kickstarts me. I don't need to, to be around. I need to be with him. And then from him, I can't wait to gather around believers and be stirred up. I've been in a hospital room praying, declaring the word of God, knowing that God puts his breath in our lungs, speaking it over my daughter, letting worship play in the room, calling friends, having friends FaceTime. Jonathan and Courtney kept our older kids. They sent a video in their living room with the kids just gathered around and they're praying and declaring the word of God over our family. I didn't need this moment. I wanted to be here because I love the family of faith and I love what happens in God's presence. But I've been at the table for days in a hospital. I've been at a table when fear has stood around and I've told fear, watch me eat. Watch me eat because I'm sitting with the father. He's prepared a place for me. He's prepared a place for me. And I'm just telling you today, this is not come to the cool church, come to the, no, this is about you being at the table with the Father. Because when you get at the table with truth, everything begins to change. You can begin to sing a song of how good the Lord is when nothing's good. You know why? Because you've been at a table with the one who is. Will you give it up for these ladies? You can have your Pringles. Take your Pringles with you. You can use it as your communion bread if you'd like. I'm just kidding. We stand to your feet, church. All of this to let you know that the truth of God's love is, is wrapped up in this. This is the truth of God's love. Next week, I'm going to talk about the truth about sin, okay? Make sure you're here. <laughs> Somebody like, oop, dang it, got to be gone next week. But I had to talk about the truth of God's love first because some people will get out here and shout about how angry God is at you and how awful you are for what you do. No, 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 no. It says God first loved us. His first response is love. And his his, his love that he pours out to us, that, that is because he wants us to know that love will set us free from everything we'll talk about next week. But this is what the love of God is wrapped up in this, that he just wants to be with you. And some of you believe the lie, not the truth, but you believe the lie that, well, I can't understand this. I've tried to read it. It doesn't make sense. God isn't asking you to read what makes sense. He's asking you to read what transforms even when it doesn't make sense. The Bible says that in Philippians chapter 4, he'll give you a peace beyond understanding. So according to that scripture, there's actually things that God pours out on us even if we don't understand it. So this is a love letter to you. You ever met someone who got a love letter or maybe a love text, right? Get the big long text. Someone's like, oh man, they're sitting there and they got that, that grin. Like she texts you. Come on, bro. She texts you seriously. Have you ever seen him read it and be like, and like, what did it say? I don't know. I read like the first few sentences. I'll read the rest later. Well, first off, if he does that, and ladies, you find out, swipe delete, bye. 
right? But you and I know if he's infatuated and he's in love, he's reading that letter from beginning to end, top to bottom, again and again. Well, I don't know. I just feel like the Bible says the same stuff over and over. I walked into a coffee shop the other day. They had worship music playing, and this guy, he was sitting with a friend. He's like, ah, music they play in here. It's just the same stuff over and over. And he looked at me trying to get like a right, and I was just like, I love it. And I went right back to my thing, and you could see the rest of his time there. I didn't say anything else. I didn't say I was a pastor or nothing. I was like, I love it. But the rest of his time, he felt awkward, so he got up and, and went on to about the rest of his day. I was like, man, I, I don't get annoyed by the repetition of the goodness of God. Because I'm in a repetition of a world that constantly is letting me know that you're not enough. You're not going to make it. Everyone's against you. So if, if there's one thing constantly saying this, well, then I just need to be reminded he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. I know we grew up in a he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me. You pull every petal off that flower. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. Give me another flower. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. That's all God has towards you. And it's because at the table, he's saying, I love you. I'm for you. My love never fails. My love never fails. Yeah, yeah, but God, you don't know what I did. God, I'll let you down. He grabs you at the table by your chin, just like a father would, and says, you let me down. You were never holding me up. I hold you up by my righteous right hand. I love you. I made you for me. And I'm letting you know that because of my love, you have a place at the table. Bring whatever you're dealing with, and I will make you eat in front of your enemies, and they'll walk away one by one. And you'll begin to see there's a security about, there's a confidence about me. I've got some some hope in the midst of, of depression. I'm finding peace in the midst of anxiety. How are you doing it? Oh, because of the cool church I go to. No, because I've been with Jesus. Don't walk out of this place where, man, Void's church just changed my life. No, it hasn't. Jesus. Man, man I just love this, this worship. This worship team. It's the presence of Jesus. Pastor John, you've just changed. It's the presence of Jesus. Man, I love when Shauna just comes again. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It will always be Jesus. So in these moments, we're going to sing for a little bit. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.